Welcome to The Truth Revealed, where we're breaking the chains of mental slavery by giving you the solution to every problem, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming back to another episode of Truth Revealed. Today, beloved, I'm going to play a clip from a communications professor reacting to Bill Gates' interview on PBS. Uh, Earlier, I had made comments on Bill Gates being the mighty king that I told y'all that that is in the Bible. And I told you how evil this guy is from what Paul Allen wrote in his book, Idea Man, being the uh, guy who knew Bill Gates better than anybody on this planet working with him day in and day out, 16 hours a day, numerous days a week, and just uh, being around him. And Paul Allen gave a quote to Leslie Stahl, who was very biased to Bill Gates, I might add. Um, But he said, working with Bill Gates was like, like working with the devil. And working with him was like working in hell. And I want you to hear not only my testimony from my previous audios, but a professor of communications react to the interview he gave to Judy Woodruff on uh, PBS. Take a listen. I'm going to react to your recent controversial interview with Bill Gates on PBS. It was supposed to be about vaccines, but she asked Gates about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. My feedback is not a criticism of Gates as a person. I'm just going to look at his specific behaviors in this interview for educational purposes to see what makes his communication come off as hanky. That's a word that police officers and other people use to describe somebody who's acting nervous, suspicious, but it's difficult to articulate exactly why something seems off. We're going to consider Gates's past behavior as a baseline to look at his answers about Epstein. I already watched his answers about vaccines from earlier in the interview to see how he would normally act. And this clip starts 80% of the way into the conversation when Judy Woodruff changes the topic and starts asking questions about Epstein. The same uh, the same focus. I also want to ask you about something else. In the public arena, it was reported at that time uh, that you had a number of meetings with Jeffrey Epstein who, when you met him 10 years ago, he was convicted of soliciting prostitution from minors. What did you know about him when you were meeting with him, as you've said yourself, in the hopes of raising money? Uh, You know, I had dinners with him. Uh, I regret doing that. He had relationships with uh, people he said, you know, would give to Global Health, which is a uh, interest I have, you know, not nearly enough philanthropy goes in that direction. Uh, you know, those meetings were were a mistake. They didn't result in uh, what he purported, and I cut them off. You know, that goes back a long time ago now. Uh, there's, you know, so there's nothing new on that. It was reported. First, he didn't answer the question. She asked him about what he knew about Epstein when they first met. He replied, I had dinners with him. His answer is misaligned, and that's the first sign of trouble. He's also giving off some very distracting body language. He's shifting in his chair, he's wringing his hands and playing with his fingers. His eyes and his head are all over the place. Our baseline showed us that he did some of these behaviors here and there in his previous answers. And now he's doing 
a whole collection of them all at once. And that uptick shows that something has changed. That also shows a misalignment between his words and his nonverbal cues. So if we were playing poker with Bill Gates, we'd say he's giving off tells. And in the field of communication, we call this misalignment nonverbal leakage. There's something more going on in his mind than what his words are saying. He looks bottled up as if he's restraining himself from saying more. We then have two layers of misalignment. Woodruff's question and his answer misalign, and his own words and nonverbal cues misalign. So that's a double dose of hinky behavior. We also see a sharp increase in his disfluency. His baseline answers were averaging a filler word every 6.7 seconds. That's already a lot. His top two fillers are ah and you know. During his Epstein answers though, he used a filler every 2.6 seconds. That's a huge increase. He's also repeating words and restarting more frequently. He said those meetings were, were a mistake. There's, you know, so there's nothing new on that. And he's pausing frequently in the middle of sentences to search for words instead of pausing at the end. Those disfluencies are all signs of conversational trouble. It's like his mind is the inside of a maraca and he's fighting to keep it organized. Meet with him over several years. Um, and that, in other words, a number of meetings. Um, what did you do when you found out about his background? Well, and, you know, I've said I regretted having those dinners. Uh, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing new on that. He's obviously shaking his head before the question is done. He's agitated. More importantly, he didn't answer this question either. He just repeated the same answer he already gave. His replies were also almost exactly the same. He said, I had dinners with him. I regret doing that the first time. That's nine words. For Woodruff's next question, he said, I have said I regretted having those dinners. That's eight words. To the first question, he responded, there's, so there's nothing new on that. Seven words. To the next question, he said, there is nothing, absolutely nothing new on that. That's eight words. This, to me, sounds exactly like the type of talking points that a lawyer prepared for him on a note card. This is not how transparent people talk, and it's not even how he talks. In his earlier answers in the interview, he used that as a baseline. He used longer sentences and gave helpful details. He's also here repeating the use of the word dinner. That specific word sounds calculated to me. He might be doing what the communication researchers in crisis call minimization, to explain things in a way that make them seem less harmful. The statement, there's nothing new on that, also sounds like minimization to me. One way police interrogators establish if a suspect is telling the truth is to compare a suspect's answers with information that the police can verify in another way. So if a suspect is lying about or downplaying basic verifiable facts like where they were, they could be lying about even more important information that police have not yet verified. So the question is, does the word dinner accurately describe the various meetings that he had with Epstein, or is he minimizing? Now, I'm not a detective, but if there's verifiable information out there that you know that establishes that they were, these were more than just dinners, then post a comment below about that.
But even if we put aside the fact that he's just repeated his answer here, let's talk about an important concept called quantity. That's a conversational maxim, a concept that says a normal conversation will flow well when people provide an adequate amount of information, quantity. It's a sign of conversational trouble when somebody gives too much or too little information for the situation. So I looked at all of his answers earlier and his answers about Epstein are less than half the normal length. His first several answers in the interview provide a baseline of a 46 second average. His Epstein answers average just 21 seconds. He clammed up all of a sudden and that's another reason he comes across as hinky. Is there a lesson for you, for anyone else looking looking at this? Well, he's dead. So, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done in philanthropy, very proud of the work of the foundation. Uh, you know, I, that's, that's what I get up every day and focus on. So she asks him, is there a lesson? And to me, this should have been a very easy question. But again, his answer is way off. He replied, well, he's dead. This breaks the conversational maximum of relevance. His answer does not logically correspond to what she asked him. And that's why this moment is the weirdest one in the interview. As the questions get easier, his answers get less connected. He then pivots to his work with the Gates Foundation. And in crisis communication research, we call this technique bolstering. When companies and, and politicians get accused of wrongdoing, they often try to refocus the conversation on all of the good things they're doing to bolster their image. So he says, I'm a philanthropist, you know, I'm very generous. Now, bolstering like this is not an admission of guilt, but he is using it as a way to change the subject instead of answering a very basic question that he was asked. So big picture, I don't know what really happened with Gates and Epstein. I'm not evaluating him as a person, but the way he handled these questions were really high on the hinky scale. And if you want to present yourself like a credible person, this interview is not an example of how to do that well. And there you have it. Communications professor Alex Lyon reacts to Bill Gates' interview on PBS done with Judy Woodruff. And if you don't understand this, never understand what Bill Gates just did. And this guy, Bill Gates, is the one that's controlling the world with this vaccine situation. He's the one that's over top of the WHO. I don't care who they put in front. He gives more money to all of these organizations than any other person in the history of the world. And you know, when you give more money than anybody else, most of the time, the person that gives the most money is the owner of that. You understand? That's why they fight for these shares and these companies. I want to have 50% or 51% and you have 49 because I have majority stake in the company and I can call the shots. That's what, that's what these folks are about, power. But Bill Gates, 
let you know where he stands with his cover-up in the Jeffrey Epstein. He's dead, he said. <laughs> so what did you learn about this? He's dead. So, you know, I, I all the stuff to Jazine Maxwell, the, the people that she brought to me, look, there's nothing new on that. There's nothing new. Nobody came out and said anything. The people that I, I've done with it, I, I paid them off. So they, it's nothing new. Is there anything new? Do you have any in, information about what I've done wrong? So this is what he's saying. I mean, allegedly. <laughs> but I just wanted the people to get a different, a fresh take on it from a different uh, perspective. That's why I had this communication PhD coach, Alex Lyon, give his own uh, 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 voice about what he believed Bill Gates was conveying to the people. And the people are still following behind the money, but not the person. Because I told you, Paul Allen said this guy is the depth. Matter of fact, hold on. The story will continue in a moment. You describe Bill Gates in very harsh terms. Um, you describe him as being quite abusive. I mean, it, it's not a pretty picture. I felt like when I wrote it, I should just tell it like it happened uh, in an unvarnished way, words and all. You know, here he is doing such great work. He's almost a saint now. Um, and it seems like an odd time to write an unflattering portrait of him. The timing had nothing to do with the many wonderful things that, that, that Bill has done. But the timing was because I wanted to see if I could do it uh, and uh, hopefully be alive to see it published. No wonder he was concerned. When he started the book in 2009, he had stage 4 lymphoma. The book goes back to the beginning. This is a picture of Alan when he was 15 and met a boy at his private school in Seattle, two years his junior, named Bill Gates. There's the machine room. You can see the machine room in there. This video shows the two buddies revisiting an old computer lab where they used to feed their obsession with programming. You lift me into the one of those huge garbage bins. Bill and I would actually dive in the dumpsters to try to find listings of the secret inner code of the operating system. You can to figure out how it worked. That's how passionate we were. They both became crack coders, but early on, Alan emerged as a creative dreamer, Gates, a cold-eyed pragmatist. You write that when he was 13 years old, he told you, one day we're going to start a company, run a company. He was saying, well, imagine what it's like to run a Fortune 500 company. And I'm thinking, I, I have no idea. You know, my parents were, were librarians. You kept bringing him ideas, and you write in the book, he was always popping my balloon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, I would have, uh, you know, 10 ideas and, the, and he would kind of pick them apart uh, one by one. One of Alan's ideas Gates didn't shoot down would lead to the personal computer revolution and launch Microsoft. It was 1974. He was a college dropout working in Boston. And one day he spotted a magazine announcing a new small computer called the Altair. He ran to show it to his friend Gates, then at Harvard. I said, here, look at the magazine. This is the computer we've been waiting for. This is how the, the, the PC, the idea that we all have these computers, this is how it started. Yeah, and it's amazing to think back then, uh, nobody had personal computers. I mean, there were computers in universities and research labs and in corporations, but nobody had personal computers. 
Alan's idea was to write software that would enable the Altair to work as well as those large computers. And so we called up the company that made it and said, well, we can demonstrate this software for you very, very quickly. Are you interested? And they said, sure, if you can really show up and demonstrate it. Did you have software? No. <laughs> you no. had nothing. We had nothing. So they spent the next eight weeks at Harvard feverishly writing code, but without an Altair to test on. Alan writes that because Gates looked like he was 13, they decided Alan should go alone to pitch their software. Sitting by an old original Altair, he showed me how he fed the computer a paper strip with their code punched into it and typed print 2 plus 2. And then, and then I hit return, which is and lo and behold, it printed four, and a wave of relief surged over me because I couldn't, I almost couldn't believe it had worked the first time. So that night I call Bill up and I say, Bill, yeah, it's unbelievable, it worked, and we were just, we were just over the moon. It was the beginning of the age of a computer in every home, on every desk. Almost overnight, people started buying these small computers, and their software was in high demand. In 1977, Gates was even interviewed on a TV show. There's a lot of people who are uh, forecasting that there'll be software stores just like their record stores today, and that there'll be thousands and thousands of those. And I think I'd have to agree with that. Alan writes that Gates had a rare gift for programming. He was also the shrewder businessman. From the beginning, he demanded a larger share of the company, 60% and then more. But Alan says he was the one who pushed through the company's big early break, developing an operating system for IBM's first personal computer in 1980. Yet, as the company soared, Alan didn't want to give up his whole life to Microsoft the way Gates did. Well, I've always had so many different interests. But do you think he be came to think that you weren't working as hard as he was and it became a source of resentment with him? Well, I think he was always pushing people to work as hard as they possibly could. Uh, you included. Uh, maybe me more than, uh, than everybody else. You describe Bill in this period and actually throughout as, a, as tough, a taskmaster. Um, you talk about his... Uh, yelling screaming uh there was there was a lot of yelling you guys never understood you never understood the first thing about this a 1994 cbs news profile got a sample of gates's management style which alan describes as browbeating and personal verbal attacks that's ridiculous i'm not, I'm not doing this thing no 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 somebody's confused somebody's just not thinking i mean there's no way you had to fight back intensely uh, to stand your ground and make your, your position and your uh, convictions expressed. But he didn't like to back down. So these fights would go on, you said. They, they could go on for hours. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're just screaming at each other for hours? And that is exhausting. It's exhausting, but that was Bill's style. Alan was miserable and felt he was being marginalized. And then things got a lot worse. He got cancer. One night, he passed by Gates's office and overheard him talking with Steve Ballmer, who'd been hired to help run the company. What were they saying? They were basically talking about how they were planning to dilute my share down to almost nothing. And it was uh, really a shocking and disheartening moment for me. And you were sick? Well, I think I was still probably in the middle of radiation therapy. He burst in and interrupted them. 
He says they were trying to cut him out and rip him off. And of course, Steve came over to my house later that night to apologize. He did? He did. But Bill didn't come. No, he sent Steve. He sent Steve. It wasn't Steve. He sent Steve. Well, Steve's the one who came. There you have it, Paul Allen on Bill Gates when they first started Microsoft. You can listen to the whole 60-minute conversation on YouTube. If you pull up Paul Allen on Gates, Microsoft, you can listen to the whole thing. I cut it short just a little bit for uh, the time that I have to make this message. But basically, this is the true Bill Gates told by Paul Allen, a man who knew Bill Gates since he's, he was a child. He was a teenager. He spent so much time with him, more than his wife and more than anybody else in this world. And Paul Allen is really not here no more because he to tell his side of the story because he passed away. And this uh, these clips that we have of him talking about Bill Gates as being the devil. I want to find that clip of him saying Bill Gates was the devil. It's, it's in his book. If you read uh, Idea Man, you'll see most of the stuff that he talked about. And we see the bias of Leslie Stahl, who was the interviewer who touted Bill Gates as a saint and all this other stuff because of the money. And I tell you, the people, excuse me, people in America only respect people with money because that's what they, they, they deem as the god of wood. That's the god they serve. The mammon god. It's money. That's the god of wood. And the god of stones is these diamonds, like I told people, and these jewels and these emeralds and these precious minerals like gold on the periodical chart is a precious mineral. It's AU. You understand? And this is what these people respect. This is what these people worship. This is what these people deem as their ultimate goals and what they shoot for. You understand? So when people have these things, they lift them up on a pedestal, no matter if they're morally wrong, no matter if they just hate, kill, steal, and destroy. It doesn't matter to them. It's what they have instead of who they are. And Paul Allen told everybody who Bill Gates truly was. You understand? And he's still the same person because right now, you know, he's already been divorced and his wife came on and told about the story about Jeffrey Epstein to Gail King. And she explained everything about uh, Jeffrey Epstein. She was saying that she wanted to meet him um, because he's been hanging around this guy who's been a convicted pedophilia he's been a convicted pedophile like it's he, he he was convicted of trafficking minors and you're hanging with this guy i want to meet him and and she met uh, like she told gail king what what happened and everything and i put it on here on one of my audios and let people hear that situation as well and uh, she said that wasn't the cause of them getting married but that was one of the things that allowed her to be uh uh separated from him and then divorcing him finally because you know she said that uh Jeffrey Epstein was a pure evil man in her eyes when she met him you know what I'm saying and I told people that Bill Gates is the mighty king mentioned in the bible it's he's pure evil and I I don't understand well I understand because people always look at the money that's what Tucker Carlson was saying on his interview uh the other night when I was watching it you know I hope a billionaire challenges these democrats and all it well he's a democrats but I call them democrats he challenges these people that and see they they respect money but it's not money that you need to be looking for because the Bible tells you for the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. It's the love, what they're doing to get it. 
How the just like he talks about his philanthropy and all of that when you hear the interview with uh Judy Woodruff about he's the richest man in the world. Why are you looking for other people to, to invest in what you can use with the own? You the richest man in the world, and you worried about these folks that's that deal with pedophilia, and you say he's gonna connect you with people that got money. That's what that's what people don't they because they, it's it's just people they don't have any common sense. Common sense would tell you why would I believe the richest man in the world is looking for other people that got money to invest in his philanthropic work, his institute. That, that doesn't make any sense. Use your own money. You the richest man in the world. That lets you know that he's greedy. He's gre- it's greed that his motivation. He talks about, you know, my philanthropic stuff. I, that's what I do. No, greed is your motivation. You know, his heart has been pierced by the arrows of money. You understand? So I want people to see that because I want people to stop listening to this guy. This guy is working for Satan. He's working for Lucifer. Everything he do is going to it's going to be destroyed, man. Everything he does, just like Paul Allen said, they tried when he got cancer, they tried to sweep him under the rug like he wasn't nothing. And it was his idea that created Microsoft. That's what people don't know. It's like they don't do their research and see the truth. They put Bill Gates as because he's been the richest man for 20 something years. You understand? And then they got all of these Luciferians come again because in the the the, the, the world of darkness, in the in the world of Satan, they are competing against one another. There's no creativity in, in the world of Satan. It's all about competition. It's it's the weak shall be eaten in Satan's world. The weak shall be eaten in Satan's world. And this is what I'm telling folk. There's no love in them. There's no love in Bill Gates. There's no love in his f- philanthropic work. He's lying to the people. He's been brutalizing brown and colored people for years and years and years. He's been killing our people. He's been destroying colored people in all of the continents. India, Brazil, Africa. It's always in these third world countries where they say they need help. He hasn't done anything. I'm telling you, he's using these people as guinea pigs. And when are people going to wake up? I got people that I got information that I put on here that people been telling you the truth about Bill Gates. And it's just flying over because he's the mighty king. Him and him and Fauci are friends. They are close. And Fauci, just like Bill Gates said, everybody's looking for a, a nuclear attack. It's going to be a biological attack. Just like Fauci said, we're looking, we're, 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 everybody's looking for this type of thing. Just beware. It's going to be a surprise outbreak. It's going to be a surprise outbreak. I, man, I, I put all of that on here for folks to see the truth. That's why it's called truth reveal. I'm revealing the truth to people to let them know, look, we don't have long. These implementations that the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates is on that forum with Klaus, with Klaus Schwab of Germany who done it do the Great Reset because the New World Order has been tainted and a lot of people is talking about conspiracy theories and everything. So we're going to make the Great Reset and we're going to use this COVID-19 to implement our new... Uh, uh, what do you, what, that's how I talk. 
we were on college, our new uh, uh, implementation where people are going to be hooked up to the internet and we're going to make it free and we're going to have people being a hybrid humanoid animals and that's what he talked man y'all need to listen to this stuff instead of watching the nba finals and all it man watch the stuff that's going on because catastrophic events is happening i told folks their goal is to create a, a one world government one world religion one world currency this crypto is real this 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 religion communism is real you understand this 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 religion satanism is real this is what these folks are pushing to the fore that's why everything is called a beast when you're good at anything you do it's called a beast edris elba got a new movie called beast coming out check it out i'm telling y'all they're they're getting you ready for this new world order and i'm coming against it by giving you the truth that Jesus Christ is the one that we need to profess, put up in the forefront because without him, you will not see God. You will not see the truth behind everything that these people are doing. Without Christ, the Holy Spirit, which is what I'm saying, Christ died for us that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Listen now, when he shed his blood on Calvary, he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And he shed his blood for the sins of the world. And I'm telling you, get baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. But you must forgive, beloved. No matter how many times you ask for forgiveness, if you don't forgive people, you're not forgiven. Jesus told us that. You can ask for forgiveness all you want, but if you still hate a nationality, if you still hate your brother, your sister, anybody that ever done wrong against you, you're not forgiven. So Satan uses unforgiveness to damn you because you're condemned already when you don't forgive. So I'm telling you, forgive. Ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Go down in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Be baptized. Go down in the water because he told Nicodemus a man must be born again. You must be born of the water and the spirit in order to enter into heaven. That's all I got, beloved. Do your research. See uh, what Paul Allen talked about in his book, Idea Man, about Bill Gates, who's running the world right now with his this World Health Organization that Donald Trump removed America from. And, and when the beast that came out of the earth, Joe Biden, came back, he brought everything back. He undid everything that Donald Trump did. Well, y'all said he was an evil president. Donald Trump don't know what he's doing. He's racist and all that. But gas was $1.75. Now it's $175 a gallon. <laughs> I'm, I'm being funny. But it's like almost $8. It's $8 in California and over $6 in the uh, DMV. The District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. That's the DMV. And gas here is over $6. It's close to $6. It's $5.79 for premium. Over $5 for regular. Yes, yeah, so you can you can believe it or not. I told folks that by the summertime, gas will be about $10 to $15 a gallon. And y'all talking about traveling, going somewhere, when gas that high, then a giraffe's book behind, 
you ain't going nowhere. Oh, unless you one of these elites that's using the gas on their private jet when they supposed to be flying commercial <laughs> or first class or whatever. I'm telling you, y'all, y'all think these John Kerry's and all of these Bill Gates and all of these people that's in the Klaus Schwab and all y'all think they all on your side, my side, please. Most of these people have never been inside of a grocery store, never stepped foot in a grocery store, never stepped foot in a car that they are not being chauffeured in. Listen to me now. Most of these dudes don't even know how to drive. This is generational wealth that they built off the backs of our people. The Negro, yeah. And then they've built it now off the backs of ignorance of the, the American people and the people of the world. Because they following after the money and they're believing all their stuff and they're doing everything. And they got insider trading with these Nancy Pelosi's and all of these people, man. I'm telling you, a tree is known by its fruit. So if you keep eating these people tree, you're going to eat destruction. You know how when you eat a bad apple or something and it makes your stomach hurt and you, some people die from these things when the, the, the fruit is bad. That's what, that's what they, they feeding y'all bad fruit. So the, Jesus said a, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither a bad tree produce good fruit. And these are bad trees. These are bad trees, beloved. And I come to tell you the truth because I believe that this is the hour of repentance. This is not an hour of going to say, give me a car, give me a home, give me all of this good stuff. And your soul be uh, go, go, go straight to hell in the lake of fire. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we live forever. Even if you don't believe, you will see him. You will see the judgment of God on your life. And you, if you listen to this message and you don't take heed, I'm sorry to tell you, my beloved. That's on you because we all got choices. We can make our own choices. And the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the ways thereof is the ways of death. So that's all I got. Here at Truth Revealed, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Take care, beloved.